means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are talking chapter 23, Christmas on the Closed Ward. This is a special episode. We're doing something different today. We have Zach from the Belated Binge Podcast. Hi! Thanks for having me come on. I, I know we've been trying to do this for a long time, but we were able to we were able to squeeze in too. You were we did the double guest thing today. I'm I'm excited about yeah, it. Yeah, this I'm so happy this finally worked out. Uh, like you said, we've been trying for a while. I think you said earlier it's been about a year that we've been trying to do it's this. So, so so long, so long, and it's completely my fault. Just I I take absolutely all ownership of just how much of a nightmare it has been for me to get this get this scheduled um so thank you for being patient and still wanting to talk to me <laughs> we uh we were able to cover chapter six of prisoner of azkaban talons and tea leaves so you got a full dose of me trying to defend trelawney to my best ability i don't know <laughs> if it took but i tried it's a valiant effort man it, it's not an easy one to to try to do and you did it just miraculously i appreciate that i appreciate that <laughs> um so just a little intro about yourself here uh what what kind of house do you identify as and how how did you get started as a harry potter podcast i know you're doing some other things now but mm-hmm Sure. So, um, I, yeah, for starters, I grew up, I am literally almost the exact same age as Harry in the movie canon. Um, yet I still, uh, while I did dabble in some of the early books as a kid for a minute, I didn't read this series until I was in my mid twenties. And that's what sort of launched the, uh, sort of what the, the, my podcast is birthed from is Harry Potter is not my only experience like that, where I am just comically late to everything that is considered good in the world of series, whether they be book or TV related. Uh, and so that's what my podcast is, is just me uh, either revisiting something that I discovered so, so late and it's now one of my favorite things, or uh, in in some cases going full reaction into something brand new on the podcast that I should have watched so, so, so long ago and did not. Uh, so that's kind of how the the podcast came to be, and um, and Harry Potter was just the first one that I launched into. Um, I did take the Potter No More um, quiz to find out what house I'm in. Uh, I took it three times, if I remember right. Okay. Uh, at least one time was just to see if I can manipulate the results, but I was successful in that. However, the natural taking of the quiz put me in Ravenclaw. Okay which felt very, very strange to me because I've never thought myself that smart. Um, I grew up more on the jock side, so I wasn't expecting the, the, the bookish type. Harry Potter is literally still like the only book I've read, like book series I've read as an adult almost almost exclusively. I do so little reading, yet somehow I managed to be a Ravenclaw. <laughs> I th- So I'm also a Ravenclaw, and I think... It's it's not so much the book smartness of it. It's more like 
I am open-minded to ideas and discussion and, you know, thinking about things necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I think that's yeah. more where I skew Ravenclaw. Recently, I've tested this because I've also taken it multiple times. And more yeah. recently, I've tested more Hufflepuff, which surprised hmm. me a little bit. But Which is why you were willing to wait a year uh, to actually you know, talk to me <laughs> and, and had the patience to still want to have this conversation. Uh, but it... it it is funny for me because I, I, in my immediate reaction with Ravenclaw was like, I am not a book nerd. How in the world did that happen? But in reflection, it makes total sense because even the things that I'm like, I'm a, a, a big like sports fan, particularly the NBA, mm -hmm. and I am an absolute nerd about my sports fandom. Like, it's the analytical thinking. And at my job, I'm the data nerd guy. Like, it it all kind it does of fit in. points. It does. Yeah. It all fits in afterwards. But my initial reaction was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not that smart. <laughs> yep. It's always interesting to get the different house perspectives. I do have a question about, since you've been doing the Harry Potter podcast, have you yeah. noticed your opinions kind of change or shift as you're talking to different guests and you're having these different discussions because i know you know i've had some revelations about harry potter in the series since doing this i think i have in a lot of ways i think to say that i've like changed my opinion on things necessarily or, like changed my stance on some things i think would suggest that my stance wasn't um very solid to begin with um so i don't think it was i don't think it's necessarily been that but i have been very like open to other people's perspectives on it and i'm always really really interested in the way that different people like interpret and perceive the same words that were written on the page that's always been a fascinating piece of this to me and one of the reasons that i wanted to do it like just to see because i'm gonna read it one way and i'm gonna interpret it one way and characters reactions one way and then I'm going to talk about it and somebody else is going to hear me say that. And they're either going to say, wow, that's really profound or wow, that guy's a complete idiot. Yeah. It's very rarely going to be in between, but maybe somewhere in between probably skewing more on the idiot side. <laughs> if we can be honest, not a lot of people are going to find me very profound. Uh, but, but that, that has been one thing that's been so, so fun, particularly when I have guests on that, didn't interpret things the exact same way i've had those i've had those episodes where it's like we were in lockstep and that was a fun discussion and all but it was like it missed that like that extra layer of thinking of like opening up you know your mind to other perspectives that i got in some of the other you know episodes that i've had some of my favorite guests to have on um are like repeat guests where we actually have a lot of completely differing opinions on like characters of the series or at least like favorites and, and stuff like that um and we get to have some of that back and forth because it's also that's one thing um and i think you experienced it in our in our episode is one thing i absolutely like refuse or like don't want to do is just be like hot take jock and just try to like make it contentious or like take the other side sure. of something just for the sake of content i completely hate it when people do that um so it i'm always in it for like the discussion and like where is this going to take us and, and where's it gonna go i i agree and i love the idea that we're all reading the same words on the same page of the same book and yet we have mm -hmm. two different 
opinions on yeah. how that read. And I, yeah. I just love that idea that it's the same words, but different meanings. Mm-hmm. So that's super cool. And I think part of that is coming to it as an adult too. Mm-hmm. I am thinking about it a little bit differently than had I been doing this when I was 13. For sure. Well, let's try to get actually into the chapter of Christmas on the Closed Ward. It's... I will ramble a lot less, <laughs> No worries. <laughs> we have... It's a very interesting chapter. It's, it starts off with literally... Uh, I know our chapter that we did, Towns and Tea Leaves, ends with a cliffhanger hard stop. And that's what last chapter ended with was like, Harry's being possessed by Voldemort. Stop. And now it's like, <laughs> okay. And it, she is very good at this type of writing where it's like, how can I stop there? Flip the page. It's literally a page turner. You get Moody kind of expressing his fears. And then you get that fallout immediately thereafter. And one of the biggest critiques I hear is of, of Order of the Phoenix specifically is emo Harry is too much. He's caps lock Harry. Yeah, he's too much. You can't stand him. Well, we get a lot of emo Harry to start this off. And he goes into this kind of spiral of, oh my gosh, I'm the weapon. Uh, I'm what Voldy is after. I have to isolate myself from everything and everyone. And I got to go back to Privet Drive, which is, I can't believe he's at that point where he's like, yeah, that's the best option for me. I'm not going to talk to anybody, which is always a good thing. I mean, that's that's clearly <laughs> the answer. Always. And he gets to the point where he's actually packing his trunk to leave Grimald Place. What what are your kind of thoughts on the whole emo hairiness of it all? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, this poor kid is going through trauma. Yeah. yeah. And we're all just annoyed at Caps Lock Harry. And I struggle with it, too. I think that the best thing that I did preparing for this conversation is listen to the audiobook rather than actually read okay. the the words on the page to see all of the caps locks because it is this book is heavy in it. Everybody is right about it being a lot. It's also well founded. Like this kid is 13. He just found out that he that the the people around him, the adults around him are concerned because they think that the most evil serial killer like of all time in this world is possessing him and attacking people through this this child and the the idea that he goes into this spiral and gets to like I got to go to the Dursleys it's completely rational in the headspace that he is in, when you think about like what he's, how he's thinking about it, he's like, well, if he really is like literally seeing through my mind, seeing through my eyes, like can possess me at any time, the headquarters of the order of the Phoenix, the only people trying to stand up to him is not where I should be because that makes me dangerous to them. I can't go back to school because there's children there and I might hurt the children Because, you know, putting children in danger is something we definitely wouldn't want to do at Hogwarts. But the only place that's safe for me is Privet Drive. What's unfortunate is that he has to be there alone. Yeah. While 
he's not talking to anybody, nobody's going out of their way either. <laughs> right. You're right. It's, I think people lose track of it's a 13-year-old who's gone through a lifetime of trauma. Like, yes, he needs an outlet and he needs adults in his life to kind of, like we talk about all the time on the podcast, therapy doesn't exist in this world. Like, therapy no. is non-existent, and that's not an option, no. clearly. <laughs> but uh, he needs something, because, like, less than six months ago, book time, he witnessed a mm -hmm. murder. Like, how many 13-year-old kids witness a murder and aren't changed for their entire life? Like, that's a traumatic event. Only in these books. Only in these books. Apparently. The, does that just not have an effect on people? <laughs> but don't fret. He does have the ultimate stalker helping him out because Albus chips in with a, hey, stay where you are. Like, he, it's, how, it's great. How in the world is he so on top of it? And I get that the portrait is there of Phineas and he's probably relaying like, hey, Harry's packing up. I think it also speaks to Dumbledore as a character. And so... This is a thing that I think is really fascinating about him. His vested interest and in his interest in Harry. His vested interest where, in his interest. <laughs> yes, yes. His, it's because he does, like he obviously has been at the f center of Harry's life since he was a yep. baby, un unbeknownst to Harry. He's been invested in that. Um and I think he just knows Harry so well that he knows how Harry is going to react to what just took place. And Harry's immediate reaction is going to be, get out of this to keep these people safe. And he's like, don't do that. It's amazing. But to your point, he does have the portrait, like, eyeballs in there, too. So he may have the tip-off of, like, it's happening now. But I think he already knows this is how Harry's going to react to this. It's amazing how he's so attuned to Harry. And at the same time, very mm -hmm. much not. Because, like, yeah. at points he's so, like, oh, Harry's got to be feeling this. I remember what it was like to be a kid and what it was like to have, like, all the world crashing around you. and But at the same time, he's like... Eh, I don't need to tell him this. I don't need to tell him that. I, I could leave him in the dark for long stretches. It's also tactical. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. He's not taking an interest in Harry solely because he cares about Harry. He's taking an interest in Harry because Harry's very important <laughs> to, to what is happening in these books. I think it's almost like he's studied Harry. He's Harry is a character study for him in in a way he has to understand how Harry's going to react and move so that he can properly utilize Harry. Yeah. There's always that extra layer to what Dumbledore is doing. And in this moment, he knows how Harry's going to respond and react, but he's only thinking of it in almost in uh, like general terms, like literal, like war general yeah. terms. I, we get an interesting contrast too, because uh, Phineas, the portrait, actually comes in yeah, and starts talking to Harry and gets very annoyed very quickly. <laughs> this, Phineas Nigellus is Snape in a portrait. Yeah, essentially. I mean, <laughs> he does give a little love to Dumbledore uh, kind of tangentially, but he was like, kid, do you really think 
that you are the only one to be piecing any of this together. Like, this is what I hate about teaching. This is what I hate about kids. <laughs> is you think you're always right about everything. And, like, you're the only ones that have figured this out. We've just talked about how we empathize with Harry. Like, we get where Harry's been and where he's coming from and all of that. I think on maybe your first read or to the people mm -hmm. that are not thrilled about reading about emo Harry, <laughs> this little paragraph by Phineas basically telling him off is like that nod to those people of like, yes, someone's finally telling Harry off. <laughs> like, this is great. Yeah. But yes, we've been dealing this for so long. I think that's a nod to those people that are like, okay, Harry, yeah. we get it. Get over it. Let's let's move yeah. forward. Which is what Harry, uh, which is what Hermione essentially does. Is like, Harry, it's time. Like, can you can you come talk to us? Can you like, we're here. Yeah. We're here for you. Uh, and that's the nice way of approaching it. And then Ginny's just like, you're an idiot. I love Ginny in this, by the I way. I love her too. Uh, Ginny's just like, you're worried that Voldy's possessing you. Who could possibly know, or who could give you advice on that? You're stupid. Yeah. It's me. I've been there. And Harry's like, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. My bad. That's a thing. My bad. And it's amazing how quickly Harry turns, like, his whole thinking around when he simply just talks to his friends. Yeah. And this this is something that stood out to me, and I, I'm curious what you what you think. Do you think he'd been he would have been able to have this same like uh, reaction and course of events take place if it wasn't Hermione? No, um, only because I think she almost shocks him awake because he was not expecting mm -hmm. her to be there at all. And then hearing her voice is like, mm -hmm. wait, what is she even doing here? I think there's a couple of things going on. I think A, Molly Weasley is trying to keep people away specifically to give him rest because she's the doting motherly figure like, oh, he just needs sleep. That's fine. We'll let him rest. Stay away. And then part of it is that relationship between Harry and Hermione is a special one. And mm -hmm. it's it's a unique one, and I think there's a reason it's Hermione to get him out of the funk. I am surprised that Ginny didn't like almost force her way into the room and just be like, "Harry, if you're worried about this, talk to me." It's interesting. We also we don't really we haven't gotten a lot of Ginny at this no. point. I like how she doesn't like back down in the conversation or whatever, but it does feel like somebody in that house should have been trying to get to talk to Harry at some point during this whole thing, even if it wasn't the kids. Like, Sirius has just been singing Christmas carols through the hallways, yeah. and, and what he hasn't That's tried true. to come, you know, talk to his godson at all. They're supposed to have this, like, you know, amazing bond and whatnot, but that's completely missing in this moment. Remus Lupin, who might be the most, like, socially aware character the closest thing to a therapist a lot of has, moments yeah. right and he's just like nope that's not happening mother hen hasn't tried to come talk to him either she just wants him to sleep and well there's food when you're ready nobody can recognize trauma in a 13 year old who just got his entire world rocked first of all i gotta say when uh because we always have to plug it when it comes up and it comes up way more often than i ever thought when i picked this podcast title but Hermione does give a Hogwarts a history mention, so I just wanted to oh, put that in there. Yeah. 
won't you just read it? But it it's also this is also the thing, and you again we're we're crossing um, conversations here a little bit. But you mentioned this partially on my podcast. This does fall right in line though with Hermione's character of if it's written in a book, it's gospel. Correct. She can't even begin to even let the notion into her brain that Voldemort could possibly have power beyond what has been written in a history textbook about whether or not you can apparate in and out of Hogwarts. Not at all. Nope, just can't happen. And Harry's the one that's like, who knows? He He's like the most powerful wizard in the world next to Dumbledore. He can probably do whatever he wants. Who knows? He got a snake <laughs> into the Ministry of Magic. So yeah. He could probably do quite a bit, but... And somehow put me in that snake's head. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Hence where we're at right now. Right. Um, to your point, Sirius is blissfully unaware of everything going on, and he's just happy. Which is great. It's great to see Sirius happy because, you know... In your, good to see a happy Sirius in this In book. your podcast, we talked about some characters with some alcohol issues. And <laughs> Sirius was seeming to be that when we arrived at Grimald Place. He was in a rough shape. He was in a dark, dark yes. place. Uh, yes. Both literally and figuratively. And then he's transformed yes. the house into this, you know, Christmas wonderland. I particularly like the hats and beards on the dead house elves that are mounted on the walls. I like that uh, visual. I don't know why. I just like that visual. I like how he strategically put the decorated Christmas tree in front of the family tree. Very strategic placing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It's a good call. And when we were talking about, uh, in your podcast, the Towns and Tea Leaves and the Monster Book of Monsters that Hagrid gives, <laughs> we get a, Harry got a practical defensive magic and its uses against the dark arts book for Christmas, which features color moving illustrations of jinxes and hexes. Which is which awesome, is by the way. Awesome. That's a really useful book. He got a, I don't even know what you call it, like an itinerary book from Hermione yeah. that yeah. literally yells instructions it annoys you. you yeah yeah it annoys it, you that's what it's pure does. noise ron got him the obviously the <laughs> massive box of the ever flavor beans and uh what did dobby get him? oh a painting dobby got him a painting dobby did the painting yeah that's wild good stuff that should have been the this... illustration for the chapter is really the dobby painting that should have been the illustration. <laughs> it should have you know what else what else he got and this is the thing that i was uh that i was alluding to on my podcast earlier in Talons and Tea Leaves, they have the Monster Book of Monsters. Mm-hmm. Hagrid's gift in this chapter to Harry is a wallet with fangs that he cannot open to put anything in. Very true. I'm like, did you stroke the billfold? <laughs> I get that it's like... <laughs> it's an anti-theft device. And Harry like picks up on mm-hmm. that, and that's great. But It's an anti-use device. Yeah, it's... You want that in your pocket, biting you? Never mind. It's a very, it's a very Hagrid gift, if there ever was one. Hey, oh, it's so you know, funny. each one of these people really lean into their character types. I mean, you get Hermione with her they, gift, Hagrid with his, Dobby with his. It's like, oh, wow, you're really leaning into the, who you are. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. Well, we get word from the twins that, hey, you shouldn't go downstairs because... Another gift that was given was returned, and that did not go very well. Mm. Mm-hmm. You get Percy uh, returning mm-hmm. his gift to Molly, and then the note that he hasn't been to visit Arthur. 
um, since, you know, everything happened and their blow up. Yeah, I, I promised you I wouldn't curse on your podcast, so I'm leaving Percy alone. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> we get the note that Creature might actually be gone. We get Harry correcting Sirius. Um, we eventually end up, end up at St. Mungo's. And uh, I'll skip over the whole Arthur and Stitches thing, because uh, that's essentially what we do. We learn that he had Stitches put in, Molly's about to go off, and everybody escapes. So... I mean, that's... The thing, though, that I just wonder, why is Molly so upset about this? this that's the part that is weird to me. Like, obviously, the magical treatments aren't doing anything. So, like, why be mad that he tried something else? This just feels like like magical superiority complex probably. to me. That Molly is showing, and uh, that part just irks me a little bit in her reaction to this, because she, like, blows up, and I'm like, okay, calm down. Oh my gosh, his bandages just were changed, and they weren't supposed to be! Like, her controlling mother henness is coming mm-hmm. out, and I'm like, can, uh, yeah, we, we, we tried a treatment that wasn't gonna hurt me. We tried, it didn't work, alright, so new bandages. And now I can just sit here and keep bleeding because magic isn't working either. You know what small detail is in this section that I almost want to focus on? I wish they would focus on more instead of the whole stitches thing. Lupin goes and talks to the werewolf. Like the next bit yeah. over, I think that'd be a really interesting conversation to kind of dip in on and see if he's more responsive to Lupin or if he's still like, get away from me, I don't want to hear about it, I, you know. That might have been an interesting yeah, conversation. That w- I almost wonder if you could do something with that because we uh, by now, and I don't know how you how you feel about or your listeners feel about it, but we have the the news of like the TV series and stuff in the works. I almost wonder if that's not something that you could do in a TV series of like giving it a few seconds, and even I don't even think you would have to devote a lot of time to it. No. While it would be cool to see a conversation actually happen, but this would be a really, really nice nod to put in there where you actually like pan the camera back and focus on like Remus walking over and just kind of like, hey, you know, and just giving him kind of like that reassuring mm-hmm. like thing in the, in the other guys, just like, hey, it, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and, and you don't even have to give it so, so much more than that. But that's, that's the kind of thing that, I think would lend itself really well to screen even more so than trying to write a little like conversation for them to have with a character. You don't know kind of thing with it's already a side character and going to talk to a not even a side character would be tough to put into the book format. You know? No, I, I think a lot of people want in that HBO show that's coming out, like a word for word retelling of the books and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And I'd support that. But I think, like you're saying, this would be a good opportunity to, if you're going to expand a little bit, this is a room to expand mm-hmm. and get a little Lupin interaction with a different character that needs Lupin. We haven't even gotten to the main event of this whole chapter yet. We haven't. We, we probably, we probably should. should. Um, <laughs> so after after the trio escapes uh, Molly Weasley's wrath, uh, we get into... <laughs> they're just trying to go get some tea. That's all they want. And... Mm-hmm. They run into a familiar face in a window, and mm-hmm. it's a smiling, blonde-haired, handsome face of Gilderoy Lockhart. Now he's on a long-term resident ward of St. Mungo's after that uh, memory spell backfired on him way back when. He's the same amount of an idiot now as he was then. He just doesn't have any memory of it. Yep, and he's trying, bless him, to sign as many photographs as they can literally carry. And then he gets annoyed when yeah. 
they're like forgetting about him for a second, which is <sighs> on, it's on character. It's on point. The, the real heart behind this whole chapter is Harry sees Neville and his grandmother. Neville seems emotionally down and just kind of wants to get by. And then Ron notices him and now it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And Neville's grandmother kind of gives us the whole backstory because Neville is being the most shy version of himself that he could possibly be. And mm-hmm. his grandmother kind of lays out like, you know, my son and his wife were tortured into insanity by Death Eaters and they're now here. And, uh, and Neville's kind of like, yeah, it's 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 a thing uh, that that's that's happening. And she's like, be proud of them. Be like they did a brave, mm-hmm. tremendous thing. Be proud of them. And he's like, I am. I'm proud. He's like, it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like it. And you know, she drops that they're both oars, and it, it ends up being you know, Bellatrix that was the one. Harry lays that information on Ron and Hermione later. The whole thing here with Neville. I mean, we get a glimpse into Neville's life for really the first time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of heartbreaking. I mean. If I'm oh. being honest, it's just the the scene where Alice comes up to him and gives him the the Drubal's blowing gum wrapper. The, keep in mind, again, this is Christmas on the closed ward. This is Christmas. They were yeah, Christmas Day, bringing you know, presumably bringing gifts and seeing his parents. And she mm-hmm. walks over and gives him the blowing gum wrapper. And the grandmother at this point kind of. Sw- switches almost a little bit and is like, oh, I'll just throw it away. You've probably gotten enough of them to wallpaper your room. And I, I think the thing that gets you, the, the real emotional punch mm-hmm. is that he just pockets it. He doesn't throw it away. He puts it in his pocket. It, It's the thanks, Mom, for me. <laughs> that line, it, 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 it chokes you up. It does. Um, it's, it's gut-wrenching. We also see the absolute truest form of these characters as we know them taking place right in front of our face. She could not be more proud of her son for the bravery that it took for him to wind up where he is as well as his wife. But like, let's be real. She's, she didn't, she didn't mention Alice when, you know, dogging Neville about his talents. He's not as talented as his father. You know that sort of thing. She's she's proud of her boy, and she's I think she, I think she has uh, affection towards Alice. But I think you know she's she respects Alice. She's yeah. about her son, yeah. right? She but she's about her son, and I think all of that seems to check out. And the way that she kind of chastises Neville and right in front of his friends, like how oh, he's he he's you know just not as talented, whatever. Like it it checks out with what we know of her character thus far in the series, and she's acting exactly in accordance to that. Neville is too. Neville is shy. Neville keeps to himself. Neville didn't broadcast this to everybody. Not because he's not, like, not because he's ashamed of them or anything like that. He's just a private person, and I think deep down, one of the things that makes him a Gryffindor is, in his own way, like, he doesn't want other people's sympathy about it. Yeah. That he doesn't want to use his parents to get like pandering. You know, he he can be proud of them on his own and in his own, you know, in his own way and in his own heart without telling everybody about it. Like that's just how he 
copes and deals with the fact that like he doesn't have parents. You know, he gets to go see them and they may or may not kind of know who he is. Right. But like, he do- he doesn't get to grow up with parents. He gets to grow up with a grandmother that is giving him crap all the time. You know, like that that's what he gets to do and he he's not he's just not the type to draw attention to himself in any way and he's surely not going to use them to do it. It's but she couldn't be further from that. You know, and it, like they're just so on completely different coping paths. Another Gryffindor with another set of Gryffindor personality traits would be boastful about it. You know, my yeah. my parents were brave. My parents were talented. My parents were yeah. smart. My parents were oars. Imagine Draco in this moment, like Draco's personality in this scenario. Like, not the fact that he's in Slytherin and, and all that stuff, but just the way that Draco conducts He'd be using himself. It. My father will hear about this. He'd yeah, he, himself he up would be, exactly. Yeah. He would be using this for like notoriety, yeah. you know, and, and legitimacy. Like, this is why I'm a real Gryffindor. Look at my parents. I'm their legacy. You should be impressed by me because of what they did mm-hmm. and went through. Like, that would be Draco's response to this if Draco was a Gryffindor. And, Neville's just not there's this line that Harry notices that Neville's almost waiting for them to laugh at him which oh I I love that so much that's my favorite part of this entire interaction the way that he because that's where you see it come out in Neville you see Neville's like he may be shy and turning red this whole time I think he's I don't think he's turning red because he's embarrassed of the situation I think he's turning red because he knows what he's about to go through because he's not told them about this yeah the moment that he like takes that from his mom, he has that moment with her and he he's absolutely like, yeah, go ahead, say something. And he's because he is proud of them and he will def- he would defend them to yes. any length and he wouldn't be ended up, you know, Petrificus Totalist on the floor in this one. I I think this one he'd win. Yeah, I no, I agree with you. I think you know, he's been used to, that line comes from him being made fun of relentlessly at school and obviously his grandmother putting him down whenever she can. And it's just he's waiting for it. He's waiting for it. He's waiting for it. And mm-hmm. it's a testament to our trio. But you see it through the eyes of Harry of like, I, I've never seen anything less funny. This is like an emotionally it's, charged moment. It's heartbreaking. It's true. It- it is. It is. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It's and it's true. It is a testament to this like group because Ginny's uh, there too. So yeah. I get it, it's a foursome. But as much as I like the f- the like pride that Neville shows in the moment of it, what I don't like is that he feels he has to do it to these four because it. You want to think reading this series as this this is our group right this is our core this is our golden trio like they should be people that he doesn't feel like he's gonna catch it from and he still does and that to me is now coming up on five years of poor choices on, on their part to not do more like with and for him to not feel like he wouldn't at least be safe from these this is in this moment you know very quietly and i guess not so quietly at the same time a neville book because you see him grow drastically in this book through the da Uh, you see him in the 
compartment on the Hogwarts Express with them initially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then you get the DA. Then you get this moment. I, I will say this though about Neville's grandmother because you know we've kind of put her down a notch <laughs> here, but she does clearly put a, a line in the sand of where she stands. And we kind of heard it a little mm -hmm. bit before this uh, when Seamus was getting on Harry, like, like what happened in the mm -hmm. graveyard? What happened? What happened? And Neville steps up for him and is like, well, yeah. me and my grandmother believe Harry. And that's the first yeah. like line in the sand where you get from where, what his grandmother thinks. And now here you get like, oh, you're Harry Potter. I've heard a lot of good things about you. Oh, you must be Weasley's. Your parents are good people. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. She's not a bad, like, I don't mean to make it sound like she's a bad person. I don't think that she is. I just think that her and Neville are very, very different. And that comes out in her guidance yes. of him and her, like, because, I mean, she's, she's the, she's the grandma that, like, kind of says it like it is the way she yeah. sees it. And yep. Neville is the shy, like, um, sensitive type where, those two things just don't no for what you hope that would be is he is visiting on Christmas and hears it from her a couple of times but then like gets to go home and be with his parents unfortunately that's just not his life he gets it all the time you know from from the grandma that just wants she thinks that the way she's doing it is what's going to propel him forward and like his growth but also is like probably kind of too old to be like, well, I'm not going to sugarcoat this kid. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's one of the best scenes in this book. And, you know, you, you can make it a good argument. It's maybe one of the better scenes in the series, dare I say? I don't know. It just hits you emotionally. I, I got to tell you, it's definitely, definitely my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, wait, wait, right. <sighs> It's yeah. not in it at all. Hmm. Darn. Yeah. This movie only had like a forty-seven hundred million dollar. Wonder Brothers is a small studio. Just, that's... It. I'm pretty sure it's independent. Ah, yeah. yeah. I. I think it's crowdfunded. Don't they have? Don't they have? You know, GoFundMe I, to to get these I think done. So. I think that's it. Yeah. Well, on <laughs> the movie note, I think we'll end the non-spoiler section. We'll take a break. <laughs> And then we'll get back into the spoiler section uh, where I'm sure we'll have another lively discussion. So we will pause right here and we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Uh, so we are back with the spoiler section of chapter 23. And I want to hit a couple of little spoilers here that were kind of sprinkled in. Um, obviously, I talked about this being a, a book for Neville. Neville gets more moments later in the book when we get to the Department of Mysteries. Uh, really quickly, we get a bode mention, and he gets a plant for Christmas. Mm -hmm. uh, that does not turn out well for him. Uh, no. No, it does not. And I know we've talked about it a little <laughs> bit before on the podcast here, but uh, shouldn't someone be aware 
that that is a killer plant. You're in a hospital. I'd assume someone would pick that up. But right, you would think that like because you get the sense. I and maybe I don't know because I'm not a good enough Potterhead. But I feel like uh, you're supposed to get the sense that for healers, they have to have a pretty extensive course workload and herbology is definitely in it yeah you would think so yeah it's it's a little odd um i chalked it up to this is the i guess psychological yeah. ward not necessarily the, the ward specifically yeah yeah i guess also this lady seems kind of detached from like reality in this chapter, the way that she talks about Lockhart and the way that she talks to them, just kind of like oblivious yeah. to a lot of things, um, like them trying to get out of there. And she's, oh, it's so great. Come on. And they're like, no, we, we, we he found us. We, we weren't, um, we weren't here to see him, but you know, whatever. If I am remembering the series correctly, this is the guy that she's saying he's trying to like communicate and talk, but he's not speaking in a language any of us can understand. Correct. Yeah. He's trying to throw off an imperious curse. Yeah. Right now. Like that's what's happening. He's been essentially like imperious mm-hmm. to like not talk and like him trying to talk is him trying to break that imperious curse. And if I remember right, that plant was delivered because he was throwing it off. Like, because they weren't able to hold the Imperius curse on him, so they had to take him out. Bode is one of those, I don't even want to call him, like, a tertiary character. He's not even that, but... He's a name. (laughs) As far as those types of characters go in this series, he's fascinating, really. Like, if you really want to, like, yeah. He's a cool character that gets mentioned, like, three times. Who's the other one that is like that? There's a, uh, somebody that got arrested for trying to break into the and he had moody's uh invisibility cloak there was sturgis podmore that got arrested for that i think that was him yeah it's it's another one of those like names that just like and then willie wittershins cool stuff exploding (laughs) toilets for muggles and stuff like that it's like ridiculousness yeah um but uh, again one of the other things i thought of while reading this chapter is like you know, we kind of made fun of Sirius being like kind of blissfully unaware of everything because he was so happy. Mm-hmm. And this is like one of the last moments Harry and him get together bef- yeah. before the Department of Mysteries. And, you know, Harry gets to see Sirius truly happy before the events of those couple of chapters at the end. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. this is such a low key, tragic chapter. And a bunch of different ways. Obviously, you get the Neville and it his is. parents stuff, but now you get mm-hmm. Harry. If you really think about it, you get Harry in some of Sirius's last happy moments before he's gone. And it's just this is ends up being a really sad, tragic chapter in a way. It it does, and it's also it's the Easter egg of it's happening right now. Yeah, Sirius is currently dying. Yeah, and by that I mean. This is the moment that creature has left. Yeah. He has gone and started like planning with Bellatrix and uh, the Malfoy family how to like lure Harry to the Department of Mysteries 
and ultimately is what's going to kill Sirius. Yep. And it was his order of out. Yep. That was the loophole. And Harry is all over it. And Sirius for a moment has that moment of realization of like, oh, I might have really screwed up. But he doesn't let on. He's just like, oh, we'll find him later. And he goes back to being jovial and that kind of thing. But you know in that moment he's like, because he's not an idiot. He's He is uh, he is portrayed in these books as having a very one-of-a-kind personality. But he's not an idiot. He's a smart person. And he right. knows, like, oh, Harry, you you might actually really be right, but you're also 13 and I'm not going to worry you with that in this very moment. We're going to have Christmas now. That's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> this is the first time I'm happy in months, yeah. possibly yeah. years that I'm like truly yeah. happy. And I like, I mm-hmm. can't have that happiness ruined right now. <laughs> like, yeah, let's yeah, keep it going. There's definitely some of that. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Um, it's really, really tough with that one it also makes me wonder and this was something that i thought was a little out of place the fact that creature has like bellatrix kind of like enshrined in his little hut Mm -hmm. wouldn't you think that would have been regulus it's well yeah he does have the family photo but yeah it's weird that bellatrix is like the way that they single out as like she was like made front and center as if she's like the the one he was most correct you're right yeah it it should wholly on 100 percent be regulus but then that might give it away too much to half blood prince and the deathly hallows could be it was just very odd through those books who's rab who's rab who's rab and then yeah yeah they found it in like five seconds even though Regulus Maybe. has been mentioned before. He has been mentioned by name in this book by Sirius, but it's... Right, like, I think it would be okay if you just established that, like, Creature and Regulus had a relationship, the house elf in the house that Regulus lived in. Like, I don't yeah. think you um, have to go crazy, but it, it just felt odd, and it made me wonder if he made this change because of what's happening right now. Because he's been leaving, going to her... And almost like kind of serving her as his main master and probably has to punish himself when he gets home. But like, this is his way of like, kind of, this is master now. Yeah. You know what I mean? You also, that, it was just odd. You also get the little mini circle with Neville at the end. And it's like a way to bring it back mm-hmm. to the yeah. main, I guess, storyline of like, wait, wasn't her picture in creatures thing? And then it's like a circle, but you're right. It should, yeah. it should be regulars. <laughs> Yeah, it made me... I almost brought this up earlier, but I wanted to save it for the spoiler section just because of some of this stuff. Do you think that Hermione is, like, rethinking that empathy for Creature after realizing that he's, like, idolizing Bellatrix (laughs) Lestrange and Bellatrix is the one that did that to Neville's parents? No. (laughs) Yeah. I I think she still views it as he's been a tortured house elf, and that's the reason for it. Like... Yeah, we talk about Neville and Harry needing therapy for their traumas. Hermione views Creature as needing house elf therapy to get back on track. Like Winky needs therapy, Creature needs therapy to get over their master hangups, mm-hmm. and I think she just excuses it away. 
With- yeah, yeah. I th- I thought for a second it might be a little bit of a wake up call for obviously knowing that it's really not. Um, and granted, she's not wrong in that. In that, like creature. By the end, we find out that creature's truly been like a tortured house elf. Um, but the way that she like still puts it back on Sirius even after he, you know, is gone is like okay. Clearly, this moment where this house elf is like worshiping the woman who like is a death eater that wants to kill your best friend and is clearly capable of torturing people into insanity. If that doesn't give you at least a little bit of pause of like, you may be in poor circumstances, but like these little things also have some choice that they make of who they align, like who they uh, make their allegiance to. And that was a poor choice. You would think that that would have held a little bit more in her than what it ever did. Like I, it, it's odd. I, I was almost surprised in rereading it because it's such a small pe- like line in this chapter. I kind I not really thought about it mm-hmm. until rereading it for this. It's like, you would think that would have held more weight for her, but it all ultimately it it doesn't. So it's surprising to me that Dumbledore doesn't go for house elves. Like he he has the house elves at Hogwarts and by all accounts treats them very well for like who they are and what they are. Um, is more than willing to pay them if they want paid. You know what I mean? Like doesn't treats them well for their you know for what house elves are or whatever but knowing that in this book in particular he's like trying to give the guidance to fudge we need to go make alliances with the giants so he sends uh hagrid and um what's her face madame uh, from yes that's yeah to go try to talk with the giants he sends remus like undercover to try to sway some of the werewolves those alliances that he knows that um he he tries to get fudge to like get the dementors in line you know what i mean like get the round them up essentially like keep them close you know because he knows that that's where voldemort is gonna go he never makes a play for getting the house elves on his side which feels way out of character for Dumbledore to not be able to for to see the value in that, knowing the type of magic that the house elves actually have, and how like certain laws of magic that wizards have to abide doesn't apply to house elves. Like they they have their own special brand of magic and their own capabilities, and it's like you didn't you didn't think to try to make that alliance but you were like you really wanted to make the alliances with the ones you knew Voldemort was going to go after it feels like house elves is uh is a missed opportunity in the plan i never thought about it until literally right this second that it seems as though maybe that was a missed opportunity for for old dumby and his uh in his master plan i wanted harry's development that's one of the things that has that bugs me about harry as a um, as a hero and as a character, uh, I feel so much of this series happens to him, good and bad. Like, he doesn't get almost anything that happens on his own merit, magically. Prophecy, magical, 
love charm that breaks all things his relationships and friendships being good at the like all the things like he has he has things he's good at but he never like if it wasn't for the plot hole uh like the the convenience of the elder wand like he literally could not even wipe the dog poo off of you know poo's shoes in a duel even at the end of the series when he wins the duel because he wins on a technicality yeah like i i wanted i wanted to see harry get to the level of like actually being the worthy hero magically not just because he's brave and has this like great character as is essentially self-sacrifice self-sacrificing for everybody else like that's that is hero worthy but his wand not so much i feel like harry it's so hard when evaluating harry potter through these books because it's like he does so many dumb things that he needs to get there's that that he needs to get saved from and some of it's his own doing. Some of it's not even just bad luck. Some of it's his own mm-hmm. mistakes or lack of preparation, like in the Triwizard Tournament with Dobby, where Dobby basically, like, literally gives him everything he needs. Here you go! But at the same time, he's still James and Lily's son, and I, I still think he's has magical talent within him that he... I think he does, too. ...that he shows. It's just a matter of, matter of like, can we funnel out the misgivings of like because we're still talking about a teenage boy who's yeah. gonna do dumb stuff i'm hoping i love all that dumb stuff by the way i just i just wish by the end when he beats voldemort in a duel that he actually could beat voldemort in a duel that's all that is what i that like that is the piece that i struggle with with harry as a hero it's not even like i think he's i think Everything else about him is a very compelling hero journey. It's just the fact that, like, he has to win it on a technicality because he never gets to that level. Well, part, and part of it is you, that's tough. you build up Dumbledore and Voldemort like gods. Like, they're essentially yeah. magical gods. Mm-hmm. And my problem going into Deathly Hallows was, like, what you're saying. How in the world is Harry Potter going to beat Voldemort? Like, there's just no conceivable way... Yeah, and that's when she events you, you, an unbeatable wand. But yeah, yeah, it's and it didn't have to be that way. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like those those lessons with Dumbledore could have one started much earlier, and two, the things that he does show is one he is particularly adept at picking up defense against the dark arts, even the dark arts. Yeah, when he uses it, he uses it and it works. He uses um, the Imperius Curse quite effectively. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. No practice, never done it before. Just I think this is how this works. Like he has he has an adeptness and an ability in that way. He the Patronus thing is supposed to be like so difficult and all that crap. It's just a useless spell in 99% of cases. Like unless you're going up against a dementor, you it doesn't do much for you. Like but it is like worthy magic and it does it is used to show that he's actually good at this stuff. Um his his overuse of Expelliarmus is is made fun of, but because we like to make fun of things that we love, it's the it's the fact that he he never got the like. I would have loved to have seen the the camping be less brooding 
and less completely distracted and more training Hmm. and like actually mastering of the things that he has a natural given ability towards, but he doesn't put the work in when it counts to come out on the other side of like, Oh, you actually, Oh, this, this dude, this dude's been in the gym. You know what I mean? Right. Like there, there's none of that with Harry. He, he just, we have to have the technicality because they're, you can't believe it any other way. One of the redeeming things that I will say about the fantastic beast movies is it showed you what adult magic could look like and could be. Mm-hmm. And it's so tantalizing and you're just stuck in this. Again, we make fun of Expelliarmus all the time because it's like his go-to. Yeah. But it's like, if, like you said, the camping scene was him learning some of those spells that adult right. wizards are able to do and then put that forward. You're like, oh, well, this is this is something. Like, he's elevated to another level beyond right. a 17-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid. It, exactly. And that, that, that was missing even to just get him to be formidable to vo- maybe you don't even believe that he's more powerful than Voldemort but maybe the kind of, but like he could be like know, a Kingsley or like a McGonagall that goes some, toe to toe with yeah something like yeah believe that he believe that he shouldn't be hiding under his invisibility cloak during this whole thing well, at the end of right? Half-Blood Prince he gets owned by Snape and you're like, completely. Well, if you can't beat him, then you can't beat him, you know? No, like, and, and he has the and he has the nerve at the end to be like, well, I hope I run into Snape because all the better, worse for him. Like, yeah, he literally could have just killed you. Yep. You are a child, and and there's never that click. Like I said, he, he doesn't have his, like, he doesn't have his, like, rocky work, you know, scene to get... The, the, that was missing for me, and maybe that's too much of a sports metaphor for this book scene. But like, it just it. Well, right now it, we are being the Phineas Nigellus of this, being like, "You're a kid." We are. <laughs> you yeah. can't do it yet. You're a kid. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. That's the that's my biggest uh uh I think worst part with uh with Harry in this whole thing. He does get a lot right in this chapter, though. Can I rapid fire a couple of these things? Yeah. Go ahead. So he's brooding around, right? And he's like, uh, Dumbledore doesn't want to meet my eye for fear that Voldemort's going to come bursting out of my head or whatever. And it's like, yep, that's actually very true. Not literally, but figuratively. Nailed it. Yeah, I'm the weapon. Yeah, you are. You are the weapon. You're not the thing that, like, Voldemort, you're not the prophecy. You're the weapon to get the prophecy. (laughs) Like, all of that is accurate. You're the weapon, just not in the way you think you're the weapon. (laughs) Exactly. You're not the one that's going to go bang. But you're the uh, vehicle to get to said bang. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's wild. Uh, also, I don't know where you. Uh, oh, this this one was just fun. Um, Ron going through Saint Mung- Mungo's. Oh, the spattergoit thing. Yeah, the spattergoit thing, yeah. and it's like, yeah, we use that later. <laughs> Good job. Way to remember that. And I, where do you? I don't know where your listeners land on this, but. Sirius and Lupin giving him that gift as a joint Christmas present. <laughs> I feel like every Wolf Star shipper in the world just like you know had had their best day. <laughs> Fair. Gift. The way that it was worded, I was like, oh, a joint gift with those two. I I feel like the the Wolf Stars are just just 
living their best life in this moment, as the kids would say, probably again, 10 years ago and not anymore. Um, but I'm not just behind on series. I'm also behind on slang. Any other big spoilers you wanted to talk about? Anything you want to delve into? I'll get your, uh, I'll get your, get your thoughts on this. This is actually a theory that I, uh, floated back in the chamber of secrets when Lockhart was part of it. Uh, but I want I, I like to get other perspectives on it. So, the I think the common assumption of Lockhart in this series and what he was doing is the total wipe of people's memories, right? What he was trying to do to Harry and Ron ultimately happened onto himself is what he's been doing and how he's made his way through things. And I don't think that that makes any sense. Um, I think that he was much more subtle in his previous encounters and his reasoning for doing it this way is because he was going to use that in the book and in the story that he was telling is that Harry and Ron lost their minds at the sight of the monster. So I have to make them lose their minds kind of thing. I don't think he was just wiping everybody's memory. Um, I think that what he was doing is that he was essentially interviewing these people, finding out about their accomplishments and essentially getting all of the details probably under the guise of, I'm going to write this book about you. And so he's able to get all of the information, basically write the book, and then subtly do more of like a Tom Riddle or like a, a better version of a Slughorn and like plant a new memory or an altered memory into these people's heads. So they still remember their friends. They still remember their family. They still know who they are. Their lives continue as they were. They even still remember the events that happened. But instead of remembering them first person, they remember watching Gilderoy Lockhart mm. do it and witnessing it. Okay. And that's how he's able to avoid the backlash of his books as they come out of like people saying, uh, that wasn't you. That was, I did that. Like he gets to avoid all of that, but also isn't leaving just a slew of just mindless <laughs> like along the way like those bodies would pile up people would start to catch on they're like everywhere you go right people wind up with no semblance of who they are and you have a great story <laughs> no i i think that lockhart is an interesting character for exactly that i mean you read his classes and he comes off as this bumbling idiot who just smiles and gets his way and makes you know women fawn for him and whatever and he's not. I think he's a very cold, calculated, brilliant con man. I think he's just a really good con man. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Where And, you know, all con men are con men, good ones, are generally mm-hmm. the smartest ones in the room because they're running the con and they're fooling you. And also, maybe how he got into Ravenclaw in the first place. Exactly. He's a Ravenclaw mm-hmm. for a reason. He's very, very smart, and he's very, very talented in this one particular spell, but he can do a lot with it, and he's gotten very mm-hmm. creative on how to to spin it. So, yeah, I, I would buy all of what you said on on his method of going about it and writing his books. Yeah. I, I think he's a fascinating character that a lot of people sleep on, and, and that's the he's... point, is people sleep on him mm-hmm. and think, oh, I'm just this bumbling idiot, boom, and then he gets you. Yeah, the thing, though, that where it where the inflated sense of ego and the inflated like he's convinced himself that he really is this person that he know like that he knows he's not is the fact that he goes out and like 
tries to make a big show of doing a magical thing and completely botches it constantly over and over again. And he's always putting himself in that position. He's putting himself in the position of literally teaching something he can't do himself where it's like that hubris is the juxtaposition where it's like, yeah, he is very, very capable, very cold, very calculated over here, but like he can't get over this over Mm -hmm. here. And that's ultimately his downfall, I guess. Do you think like him, him taking the, the defense against the dark arts position is ultimately a way for him to sell a massive quantity of books. So he Mm -hmm. profits greatly off of it. But do you ever think there's this moment in him where he's like, you know, I'm actually going to have to teach these classes. And I might not be able to do half of these spells per se. Maybe I'm like, do you ever think there's that little bit of nervousness of like, oh, maybe I can't prove that I can do this or do that. And then I look more like a fraud or I look incompetent. You would think so, but it seems to be absent because he goes out of his way to put himself in those situations and draw all of the attention to it for him to fail. And that's the part that has never made sense to me. It's like, you know that you're like, you know, you're a fraud. You have to know that, or you wouldn't be like, manipulating other people's minds and taking their stories for profit if you actually believed you were as good as you have portrayed that you are like you have to believe but he obviously he can't stop himself for some reason in bringing that attention because if you're gonna do the like i'm gonna sell a bunch of books and be a professor like but i but i don't want to look like a fraud you pull an umbrage have them read yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to go out of your way. You don't have to show them that you can't do the stuff. Like, what happens like, if Harry and Ron don't find him in his office and he actually just bolts and leaves? Like, what happens he, then? He goes and keeps doing what he's been doing. Hogwarts doesn't like. He, call he him writes out. more books. He did. No, I don't think so. Because um, the thing that I theorized about Dumbledore with that particular hire is that I think Dumbledore had caught had caught on to the con, as you as you put it, and but Dumbledore doesn't care enough about Lockhart and about like that kind of stuff to try to discredit him publicly or whatever, or like try to get people to stop buying. He doesn't care about Lockhart in that way. What he cares about are the students at Hogwarts, despite his hiring methods. He, those, those are what he cares about. And I think he fully wanted to use Lockhart as an example of what not to be one for Harry because of the level of fame and whatnot, but also for every other student that was there and was going to watch this guy be a total like frosh the whole time like don't don't be this guy and that was his whole purpose of bringing him into that because he also knew that the position was cursed and he was only going to have him for a year and he needed somebody why not two birds mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. on this one yeah Lockhart's an interesting case and it's interesting that we get him again in this chapter it's it's kind of a nice callback in a way it is, I, it's just a comedic way to get them on that ward and to have that, one, get that bowed Easter egg in, and two, have that moment with Neville. Because mm-hmm. like you said, this is very much a Neville book. Yeah. And 
you could have them just accidentally wander on and bump into Neville, but like that wouldn't be nearly as funny as having Lockhart without a brain. <laughs> so that's like trying to sign everything that he could get his hands so that's on. A really good transition from like funny hysterical to like, oh, this is actually like a really emotionally packed moment, and it's such a stark yeah. transition. It's it's an interesting way yeah. to write it. Yeah. Got anything else? I hope not. That was a lot. I think. <laughs> I've taken over your podcast mm. with all of my babbling nonsense. So um, I thank you for letting me do it. <laughs> uh, hey, thank you for you know coming on and being a guest, and thank you for having me on yours. Uh, where can people find you at? I'll make it easy. Uh, there is one website that can get you pretty much anywhere else that you would need to go, and it is belatedbinge.com. Um, it also has a cool voicemail feature, so you can click the little leave a voicemail icon if you want to join the discussion. Tell me how how much I was just wildly off base uh, during my guest appearance on Hogwarts, a podcast, or um, any other thoughts and theories and, and whatever else you want to share. I love to uh, have have people join the discussion, so that's on there as well as links to you can listen to all the episodes. You can find the you know on the podcast like literally everything else is all centralized right there belatedbinge.com awesome you can find us on twitter x whatever you want to call it instagram at hogwarts a pod <laughs> please leave a review leave a comment participate in our polls that are on spotify really helps the discussion here and with that uh, we'll wrap it up for chapter 23 thanks for listening everybody Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.